Mind your speed and your surroundings. Avoid costly collisions. Welcome to the Orbital Sword. Please follow me to the reading room. In three, two, one, engage. Welcome aboard the Orbital Sword. I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Hertzai. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And on this episode, we're discussing Cibola's Burn, or Cibola Burn, by James S.A. Corey. Um, this is the fourth book, right? Yep, fourth book. Um, we find ourselves exploring the other side of the mysterious gates. Finally. Finally. And uh, like uh, this story predominantly takes place on one planet that they're trying to colonize uh, in the new universe and uh, follows a struggle between the new colony and uh, the organizations of the old universe trying to come and lay claim to the resources there. Yeah. Corporate America trying to take its own. Basically, basically. And then uh, the Rosinante is sent to uh, abdicate. So, yeah. To become a peacekeeper. Mm-hmm. They do that really well. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's basically the story. I mean, of course, there's uh, proto-molecule shenanigans going on on the planet. Always. Always. And uh, we'll get into that, of course. Yeah. So, But that's the, the long and short. Very good. Very good. Well, so let's start with like some of our overall impressions of the book. We've been traveling with the Rosanante Cruz for three books, now four. Um, and... Um, how are you continuing to find the the story as you continue to engage in the um, engage in the crew and the stories of James S. A. Corey? And David, let's start with you. Um, this one I felt uh, overall. I feel like this is the weakest one we've read, but I still really enjoyed it. Like that's not. I don't want to put a mark on it. I'm just so that's saying. not a necessarily negative thing. Yeah. It's just. As you so, yeah. what what for you made this feel different than maybe the other three books? I think because it was so based in one place with three, yeah, there were many characters that we followed outside of the Rosinante, but like everyone was at the same place basically and dealing with either up in space or down the ground, right? Yeah. And they were all dealing with the same problem, whether or not it was from a different angle, but it was basically the same issues and. I did feel like it took a long time for the story to turn back to the Rosinante where usually, I mean, all of them have started off with like a new character, a new storyline. And then very quickly you come back to the, what's happening on the Rosinante. So you felt that was a bit slow in this one. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that those kind of things, although it's not, I mean, I'm not, I like, again, it's just, took me back a little bit from so it's uh maybe being a little bit nitpicky doesn't make it bad right it's kind of what i'm hearing because i mean the reality like even abigan's date gate or however you pronounce it um that that one i mean you're on the ship and you get some different people on the ship and then yeah you're on the rosinante but they're with that ship and yeah so but i guess maybe they start out in different places it is a little bit different is a little bit different than that yeah. Yeah. Well, Jim, how about for you? As you rejoined the crew of the Rosinante for this fourth uh, journey, what were your thoughts? Well, uh, much the same as uh, David. It had a whole different feel to it. It was kind of like a, more of an away mission than anything else because, you know, it was so 
much based on the planet Illus, um, that it just it it was just a whole different feel. But it, I liked it better, I think, than than David did. He liked it, but I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, it's that's interesting that you say that. I think the thing that threw me because this is my second time, third time, second time through the book, I guess. Um, the thing that threw me as I read it, even this time is, so the story starts out with, you know, our favorite Martian soldier, right? Um, what's her name? I'm just dropping it. it Bobby Draper. Well, yeah, Bobby, 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 Brenda will work too, but Bobby, (laughs) Bobby, you know, you get that with Bobby and then boom, we're into the story and there's no Bobby around. And the first time I read it, it really bothered me. Now, this is this has been something that James S.A. Corey has been famous for. They'll drop you in with the opening scene. You just I remember you, David, especially book two or book one. You were complaining at the beginning and nothing to do with the story, even though it does. Um, and all I will say is that that opening scene has to do with the story, just not this story. Um because after all, I'm Mr. Read Ahead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, I found myself engaged with the story, the development of the character, the situations they're, they're put in, um, fascinated with the various characters like I was before. So I don't know how I evaluated lined up with the other books. It was a good story. It kept me engaged. Um, I was really excited that they went beyond the ring. And so that excited me because we're like on an alien planet. Right. Um, and, uh, but that seemed to be less a story than the squatters versus the, the corporate man that they're trying to take down. Um, and James S.A. and James Holden trying to mediate all of this crap going on. Uh, so, first impressions. I love the story. It's a good story. It's a good. It's a good uh, piece of this universe that James S.A. Corey is creating. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite story, but uh, but I'm enjoying it. Still continuing to enjoy Miller. It's it's definitely- Miller is by far one of my favorite characters. Right. I. I- I mean, I, I liked him even more in this one, but I, I really feel like this is a bridge book. Like, like it, it's it's a piece between two plot points that he wanted to get to. I don't know because I'm not Mister Readahead like you are. But, right, right, right. But but uh, I while I do I did enjoy it a lot. I I ju- it just didn't feel like it lived up to the other ones that were that it necessarily moved things forward. Although. Part of that is, and I'm sure we'll start talking about it here soon, is is, uh, some of the things didn't quite uh, have great resolution for me. Like, it left me with not necessarily just, like, exciting questions, but just kind of questions in general. Like, I don't understand exactly what happened. Okay. So, Do you want to delve into that now, or do we want to run through, like, our list? We have a list of characters, places, but... But we can certainly uh, delve into stuff that you felt maybe weren't solid plot points for you. Yeah, that's probably a plot point thing. Um, we can I mean, we can talk about it now. So so towards the end of the book, where where I think the the story really thrives, um, we are discovering how the proto molecule has there are places that it can't touch. 
uh, with its sensors. Right. And, and that's what uh, Miller's, the Miller program is looking for. And um, Yeah, he's the investigator. Yeah. And um, I, one of the things, just a side note that I thought was really interesting about that is every time that he disappears, he's deleted. Like he, die, he dies and then is recreated. So it's like a death every time that he's, and it's not just like he just vanishes and, tur- and turns off. But anyway, so they go to this, this spot on the planet that's like a, a null void and they try and interact with it. And a bunch of stuff happens that just, I don't know if I just had trouble following it or I wasn't in the right mindset or um, like the thing, did it control the machines or were they protecting it? Because they try and get near it, and then the machines start attacking Miller and the girl, and then the girl walks through it, and everything stops. Yeah, well, she carries like a core or something through it. Yeah, and there's no real like Miller's quote unquote, like kind of dead at that point. Like he doesn't show up again after that in this book, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I know that they're going to get into it because I know there's more of the story. But over, like at that moment, I was like, they don't really come back to it when they're wrapping everything up. They wrap up what else is happening on the planet and all that stuff, but they don't come back to this like major event that happened. They uh, don't explain actually what happened, right? It's kind of the sense of mystery that I'm sensing. Yeah, and it's not necessarily a bad thing as much as it just. I guess the mystery wasn't defined enough for me to be like, oh, next time we're going to find out about this thing. It was more like next time. I don't know what is going on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jim, any other thought, any thoughts on what uh, David's saying here in that scene as it played out? Uh, no, I'm not really. Okay. So not really. The, the no. idea that, so as I said, I read this twice and, both times there is a little bit of a muddiness. All we know is that whatever they did shut down the network, the defense network that was protecting the planet, which was the goal. So they accomplished a goal, but what exactly happened? It seems to indicate that this null void thing was destroyed. And, uh, but it is a little bit unclear. And there's some questions as to whether L is it LV survives. Um, You're not sure at first and even Holden, we aren't really sure. And yeah. And then like, so we don't see Miller again, but before there's any, like any resolution or anything, then Holden gets rid of the protomolecule transmitter on the ship. Right. So there's no way for him. Yeah. There's no way for him to get resolution. Right. In that area. I don't know. So is Miller gone for good? I don't know. I mean, I guess he's part of the protomolecule, so if he got close to it again, it could potentially into his head. Potentially. Yeah. yeah. The Miller construct is somewhere around. Yeah. Is isn't Miller actually just a part of Holden now? Well, I, I thought he explained it that I mean, you could be, because that's part of the confusion of things, but at one point in the book, it's explained, he's like, how come you can follow me all over every place? And he explains that when that protomolecule being was in the cargo hangar, it left a piece of itself that was a transmitter that transmitted into into Holden or into Holden's head. And that was how 
uh, Miller was getting into Holden from the ship. So it'd be Holden's connection to this ship, which enabled Miller to have a connection to him. Right. So I guess if Holden went far enough away from the Rosinante, it wouldn't function. Yeah. I think Miller will be back. Uh, I I think he's kind of turned into something of a moral compass for Holden. Yeah. Ironically, I really liked him in this book. I really liked the the character development he had, um, the, defining himself as both Miller and something that's not Miller. And um, I really liked that he became quantifiable for other people. Right. Like, finally, this, we've got, a, you know, what Elva is like the first person to see him beyond Holden. Yeah, and he's inside the machine or whatever. Right. I was almost like, I wish that the other the other crew members could see him. They all blindly believe Holden that he, he's that, that Miller's real, but it would just, can you imagine if you could just show them for real? Right. Yeah. Well, it plays into like, it was a faith idea, you know, it's, it's it, it is interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I would say that that, that, that section of the book, I, I can see why it feels muddy just a little bit. Yeah. It doesn't make it bad. It just, it just is un, a bit unclear. It made me want to read the book in me, the next book immediately. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah. Any other plot points or anything that, that were stuck a bit muddy? Stuck, oh, yeah. So, plot points, huh? Um, so, I love the revelation of the tunnel. You know, there's a secret network. Um, I love the, I love the rescue of, I love the rescue of, uh, Felicia of, uh, I was gonna say Naomi, but. Oh, her too. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, but it was that the, yes, definitely of, 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 of Felicia, uh, uh, Merton. That was, that was fabulous. Um, but I was thinking of Naomi, just the way they went about and how, and even there, um, what was it? Uh, what was the guy's name? Um, Dimitri. Oh, Havelock. Yeah. So, you know, Havelock, even like the fact that he's connected to Miller, like he's Miller's old partner and he's connected so much to the pack story of what we read over the past three books, the bringing him in and showing that he, they establish it establish him as someone that follows whoever's in charge. Um, but he kind of gains his own moral compass throughout it. And so for me, his turn is one of the most fascinating for me in this book. Let me ask you this along what you're saying with that connection. Do you feel that, that, that these stories are starting to suffer similarly to star, something Star Wars is suffering from in that, Everyone is too closely knit for a galaxy this big. Hmm. It's like, it's cool to be like, oh, this person's related to this person or, or like ties into that. But when you think about it, humanity lives on several planets and several asteroids and the same crew of people keep bumping into each other. And does that not make the world seem a little small? 
Or is it just a small world after after all? You know, you you do have a point there, but it doesn't bother me. I think, I, I mean, I thought about it, but it wasn't enough for me to be like, to give it as a negative mark. It was just a thought that I had. You're saying that you, you, you have a feeling that things might be coming a little campy. Yeah. It's just, it's almost like, like a TV show where they've hired a certain set amount of actors for the season. So those guys just happen to be everywhere they go. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's like, well, I mean, you know, the, everyone's somehow connected to someone that we've already, it, it, when it first happens, you're like, Oh, that's cool. But the more you think about it, you're like, wait a minute, the possibility of all the people that there are, that this one person who had an interaction with this other person that we know. I think in the setting of, in the case of Havelock, you might be able to argue this, but in general, the characters we're meeting are new characters and, and any connection like between Fred Johnson and Abbasarla and uh, and Bobby, like these people are in higher up roles, and so we're bound to encounter some of them, um, I guess. But even Merton's story, because there's a little bit of connection between uh, with Holden and Merton because of his son being one of the kids infected with the proto molecule early on, as they pursued the daughter of this other guy that I forget his name. But uh, even that is not um, the way they blend the story in as being refugees from this moon and trying to make their way. And the moment these worlds open up, they're like through the gate to find it like that. That is almost believable to me, even though there's this connection and the connection, at least there's at least they're selling me a bill of goods that I'm sort of buying. It's not like just conveniently we're running into these guys again. I didn't think it bothered me that much with the family, with the the son. And that, that made more sense, like yeah. you're saying, that they would have run away. Yeah. But just the fact that the the officer on this ship that just, you know, that's the bad guys happens to be Miller's ex-partner type thing. Yeah. But again, I guess in talking about it, I'm making it sound like it's a, it's a bad thing. And it's, it's, it, at this point, it's not, I'm more concerned that it could become, if it's something that continues constantly. Well, I ever. think like Pavlock, right. Or Havlock, sorry. Uh, Havlock, his, um, connection to Miller is only, is not essential to his role. Like you, you could have taken out the connection and he would have still been an interesting character, he became a little bit more intriguing with the fact that he had a connection to Miller, but that was discussed so minutely. Like it was really who he was as a security officer aboard this sh ship. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know what, what uh, other thoughts. Uh, I, there's nothing else that really like stands out as uh, controversial to me. Murchie was a jerk. Okay, yeah. Well, I guess that's, <laughs> we're getting into characters if we're going get, to get into that. So do we want to start? We can start with characters. Character section? Yeah, we can start characters. I think, but Murchie was a jerk. And you were meant to hate him and not trust him. Did anyone feel that he was too much... Of a jerk, like you're meant to hate him, but at some point I'm like, 
open your hmm. eyes. Like, I mean, at what point do you give up? This planet is killing us. Yeah, even to the very end, he's like, that's our technology he's destroying, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, really? You, you really? Wanna, you want to die here? Right, apparently. I think he had kind of resolved himself to die there. But. Thoughts he's, he's, uh, he's the king of his own little hill. That's uh, for certain. You know, and now he's got an entire planet he can run. And here... Uh, Ava Solara sends in James Holden to do, uh, to be a mediator between everybody. And Mertry is, he feels he's more than capable of commanding this bailiwick by himself and he doesn't need any help. And he certainly does not welcome Miller's, Miller's help whatsoever. I thought it was interesting that. They like other characters point out that there's a character flaw in him that's been waiting to come out, and now is the chance for it to come out. And it, he just like fully embraces it. The, right. The the ability to kill and and be mean and and be spiteful just because he can. Yeah, with impunity. Like yeah. who's gonna in the frontier? Who's gonna hold you up? Right. You know. Uh, but you know they parallel the trait in in Amos. They say you know this is Amos ex- is exactly the same way. Although at least according to Merton, uh, I'm not sure that I buy it. I think Amos has a little bit more civility to him. But I'll, I decided that if Amos didn't like this guy, he had no redeeming traits whatsoever. <laughs> and what makes you say that? Oh because because I think Amos is really cool and for one thing and for another he is a good judge of character he's proven that all through the series right um and there are things that you that are okay to do as far as Amos is concerned and there are things that are definitely not okay and over the line and there's only one solution, and that is that person, whoever is going over the line, deserves killing. Right. And uh, Amos is very black and white as far as, far as how he deals with other people, and he didn't like Murtry. I didn't like him either. <laughs> so uh, Amos was your uh, moral compass here, in a sense. Yeah, he keeps me on track. But, you know, but interesting enough, he's not dead at the end of this story. Yeah, I, I was like. I was expecting, I was expecting him, to, him to die. Yeah, they keep him alive. This is a Holden influence. <laughs> kill me. You know, yeah. Holden's not quick to kill people. Well, Amos was ready to end this dude. Oh, multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Amos said, eventually it is going to happen. So I wonder if that isn't a prophecy for a future book. Of course, Mr. Reed ahead, you know all about that. Me? But, uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> but, you know, maybe these two are going to encounter each other again in the future, and uh, Amos is going to make good on his promise. Mm-hmm. Yep. Could be. Sure. Well, he's on the Rosinante right now, right? Yeah, at least at the end of this story. At the end of this story, he is. Um. I just keep waiting for them to add new crew members 
Because it seems like it, it is an understaffed ship. There's no doubt about it. Like every time, every book, they seem to come across like a, a new get crew member that could be cool, and then like the next book starts and they're not there. Whether it's like Bobby or, um, in this case, Bossa, Bossa Merton. Bossa. Yeah, or what was the guy from the last one? Which I guess they said he died, right? Yeah, the professor oh, guy. Not the professor. The the, uh, or his daughter died. Oh, uh, Cassandra. Is that what his name was? The one, that, the the book where he they were after his daughter, who had been, been who, had, who had tried to sabotage everything. No, no, no. He they were after he his young girl. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, what Petrie, Petrie, Petri, whatever his yeah. name was. Start with a P. Yeah, I forget. I forget back that far. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. They haven't. They're they're woefully understaffed. So we'll see if that ever changes," said Mister Readhead. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, yeah. So uh, other people here that we uh, we have we have of course uh, Felicia and ba- and and her father, which there's obviously some tension there a little bit. Um, we have um, Fred Johnson, Avasar, and Bobby Draper. Not big players in this story, except to kind of set it up. Right, they're wheeling and dealing in the background. They are. So Avasarla, Avasarla, like whatever her name, I can't say Avasarla. Yeah, she recruits Avasalera. Avasalera. <laughs> she recruits Bobby as a is a spy. The right. Oh word? yeah, well as somewhere in there, but yeah. she's uh, at the very end of the novel is recruited. Yeah, we see also that her and Fred are not real happy with the way Holden has handled things. Right, right. <laughs> so. So we know we know that, but they aren't again. They aren't really major players in this story. So you listened to the audiobook? I did. Avasarla Avas, Ava is the way they pronounce in the audiobook. Okay, her and um, the girl from the one ship both had were given the same accent and tone, and I thought they were the same person for like two <laughs> chapters until I had to remind myself. I was like, wait, they're not the same person. They aren't the same person. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed the audiobook though. Yeah. Still yeah. still am. Um Well, so what other characters do we have to kind of delve into here? I guess we have more we could talk about groups of people. You mean like the settlers? Yeah. And then even the settlers are are broken up into kind of two groups. Yeah, two factions. We had the militant section and then the non-militant section. I think it's important it's important to note that the militant section for the most part, didn't want to hurt anybody. It, like when the Lanny pad blows up at the beginning, they aren't intending to, to hurt. hurt. Yeah. Like they want to do it so that people don't get there. But as a result, because of a mistimed thing, people get hurt. People get hurt. And then it just snowballs. Yeah. Rapidly. Um, and then they're trying to cover themselves when they shoot the other people. And I think it's kind of a mirror with the uh, the leader of the militant group and the what's Murtry or whatever. Yeah, Murtry. Yeah, they're they're kind of mirrors. They both equally kind of get more and more violent when they could just calm down. Could, but this is Murtry we're talking about. Yeah, he's agitating. But Jim, any uh, any thoughts on other characters that you kind of want to highlight? Well, I thought. 
um, LV, the scientist, was kind of interesting, looking for answers and trying to look for answers. <laughs> yeah, and looking for love. <laughs> <laughs> that was almost an accidental thing. Yeah. I mean, she wasn't, at least she didn't seem to be aware she was looking for anything like that. Right. No, I would agree you with know, that. It just, just kind of happened. Poor guy watching her get wrapped up in Holden <laughs> and he wanted to be with her and he's just like. He finally got the girl in the yeah. end. That's all that matters. No, well, yeah, she dropped Holden like a bad habit once. <laughs> yeah. Once she realized. You know, yeah. what you know, the thing that I would, the surrounding her when I think of her, you know, the whole the whole blindness thing was kind of an interesting so we have so we have in the story, right? We have the war between the settlers and the corporate corporation, right? And then voila, the planet blows up and they seem to be in solidarity at least a little bit there. And then, boom, blindness hits because of all the rain and everything. And then they realize that Holton's radiation drugs can fix that. And uh, they begin to see again. And uh, then Holton goes gallivanting off to the middle of nowhere to deal with his null, null void thing. Um, it is kind of an interesting thing to kind of throw in this biological mechanism and make sense around a new world that they just don't know how they're going to interact in with the biology and Elvie's the one that's there saying we don't know what we're playing with here and it comes true and they actually hinted that quite early on that that's happening with the one uh with the one lady's kid that was part of the resistance yeah so well you know it it's it's a, a neat point of plot here, though, how, you know, everybody's everybody's on the planet and, oh, this is a lovely place and we'll just do our little studies and all of a sudden, boom, and the planet just absolutely turns against them 100%. Yeah, well, in, in multiple ways. Like, not only yeah. the, the explosion, the defense mech, the, the organisms in the water, uh, they're getting nailed from many sides. Yeah, and, you know, you find out that it. I guess it kind of serves to show that you aren't as big as you think you are. Yeah. You know, because here you are on, on a planet, and you have no control over any of this stuff. Now, did it's we, true. Did we ever it's find true. out anything more about how things are being replaced with artificial things? What do you mean? Like the was it the butterflies or the birds or whatever? The uh, was it LV that discovered that they weren't real? Yeah, they they mentioned somehow that they were linked into the proto molecule. Yeah, I didn't know that they weren't. I didn't get the feeling they were re, they weren't real. But well, she was saying she was saying like they were copies of the the things they weren't. It, what they weren't actually them. Mm. It wasn't a major plot point. It was just kind of there throwing. At least I didn't feel it was. The mimic lizards were interesting. The way they like throw out their stomachs to like capture something and drag it back in to digest. It is. Jim's yeah. like, that's how I eat. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> While playing the lead. But, but but it's kind of funny how 
this protomolecule seems to be overshadowing everything all the time. It's It's got its fingers in everybody's pie. You know what I mean? And I'm just wondering when we're going to find out what the protomolecule is about, who invented it, where did it come from, and why. Or will we? I did like find out, you know? getting to, to get inside of, quote, unquote, It just seems to be the 800-pound gorilla in the room, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it was like... You mean through Miller? Well, you know, through the... Was it Investigate? The investigator, um, it was. It would be like it reaches out, it reaches out, right? And then it was just like basically talking about its protocols and how it was like it thinks this thing, but it doesn't actually think this thing. It doesn't actually feel these emotions, but it registers that these emotions are there, but not that it knows that they, what they are, right? Um, and then it's kind of segregated parts of itself off, like. The investigator is so segregated off at, at, at towards the end that it's Miller's his own thing. Right. He's not. It, it doesn't even really understand what Miller is doing anymore. Right. It, what's interesting when we talk about the proto molecules, this is a planet that either has been created or recreated by the proto molecule. Like no tectonic activity. Um, they have built this for the purpose of mining ore. Like that's really it. Um, and, and so it has been sculpted and formed and placed as something for whatever empire exists. Um, so we aren't really, when, when they settle on this planet, they aren't really settling on a pure virgin planet. It's something that has been engineered by the proto, the society of the proto molecule, whatever that is. So let's talk about some of the, uh, the, we, we obviously have, Illus Nuterum, we kind of talked about that. This is a planet designed with moons that have been designed as a defense grid around it. Um, what a planet to pick, you know, to, for the first settlement, right? Um, Illus Nuterra by the settlers and um, so on. But we also have the ships and in, the, in their own right, like the Rosinante is almost an extension of the crew, the Barbara Bacola and the Edward Israel are also extensions of the crew. And especially uh, the Edward Israel is one we see the most because that's the, that's the corporate ship, right? Am I right about that? Or is it the Barbara Bacola? I forget them mixed up. Uh, I think that, wait, was it the Barbara Bacola that was the one? <laughs> was that the settler ship, Jim? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think and it was the same ship from the last book, though, wasn't it? Which one? The barber, the the settler ship was the same ship that was. Oh no! The 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 the, the, um, the behemoth. Oh okay. It was a behemoth. Yeah. It was the big one. The uh, the Mormon ship, right? Mm-hmm. That they were going to that they retrofitted to yeah. make into a military ship, but which is still around because it's kind of at the hub policing everything now, uh, which is interesting because they talk about like Fred Johnson kind of taking positioning himself to be kind of like the traffic controller for the galaxy, right? Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. The Barbara, the Barbara Piccola is a ore uh, selling ship. Yeah, so that's the one that the settlers traveled on. They were loading up with all this ore and all these yeah, dilithium and- crystals for the starships and just... 
Yeah, and the Edward Israel came in on a blockade. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting because the so Murtry's crew is kind of their ship, but it's not their ship. There's a captain that's kind of in charge of this ship that's not totally on board with what Murtry's doing. And you see that later on, especially in the rescue of Elvi Okoye. Not Elvi, uh Felicia Merton. Yeah, yeah. It's very corporate. But, but yeah. you know, Murtry uh will kill somebody out of hand. Yes. Yes, he will. So, you know, he, he's declared martial law. Boom, he'll blow anybody away, and nobody's going to argue with this guy. Well, it's hard to argue when someone's holding a gun up to you. You know, it's just. Yeah. I think the only thing that the only thing that saves Holden from uh, getting in trouble is that he was appointed by the United Nations to do this mediating job. And that it wouldn't go over well if uh, he got killed. Also, the Rosinante is the only ship in, in orbit with weapons. With big guns. Yeah. 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 With that big rail gun. Yeah. Boom. Uh, rail gun slash um, propulsion system. Because that's what they use it as, right? Yeah. Kind of this interesting. <laughs> um, I do like, I uh, talk about a point of plot, you know, for kind of moving that direction. When they, sh- when they, end up sending that shuttle that's ending up being like a bomb uh, and they blow it into tiny pieces, but the tiny pieces are still coming for them. I, I like that. Um, and, you know, they were kind of caught in a catch-22. Do we want this large thing ramming us or do we want these small pieces ramming us? There's yeah. no good answer, right? <laughs> um, there, there, Yeah, there, there's a no-win scenario there for sure. Yeah, no-win scenario, right? Yeah, Kobayashi Maru. I was just going to say that. I'm glad you brought that up. But yeah, there's no win scenario. And um, <laughs> they, 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 they uh, did probably the best they could do. Uh, Captain Kirk could have beat it. <laughs> he doesn't believe in no win scenarios. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I mean, certainly a favorite point of plot. Um, the rescue, of course, if we've kind of well, yeah, both rescues, in my opinion. But you know, coming up with that bubble yeah, idea because we got we got ships in orbit that are that are without power; they can't do anything for themselves, and it's it's a race against time because their orbits are rapidly decaying, and uh, you know, you got to you got to help these people out and there's you know there alex is having a heck of a time trying to figure out how to get this done and save lives at the same time without allowing his own ship to wind up uh burning up in the atmosphere yeah and all the all the while trying to avoid the edward israel and their shenanigans so i mean it's just a yeah it's like it's like we're trying to do this this is we're trying to fix her ship, and we're also dealing with the Edward Israel being jerks about everything. Yeah, you and know, tr- you know it just doesn't seem they don't seem to care. Yeah, you can't seem to catch a break. <laughs> but I feel that same way for the settlers down the planet. You know, they have the their settlements wiped out, and then they're like becoming blind, and that you know, there's just like boom, boom, boom. There's not one thing that they really. You know, the martial law, you know, there's just a ton of things that are kind of slapped. And if anything, this is a story, uh, this is a story on multiple fronts about 
facing odds and dealing with situations as they come and making and trying to make the best decisions in a in a in a crap situation. Yeah. And and you see Well, that- and you've got you've got a, a global problem. I mean, extending out into the ships in orbit and you got this cop down on the planet who doesn't want to do anything but have a pissing contest with somebody else. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, he's it's 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 a power grab. He's trying to, you know, this is me showing my showing authority, and I'm gonna take that to the nth degree. And his subjects, they just yeah. follow so blindly. Yeah, and the only the only insight we get into his subjects is the one that Amos kind of falls in love with, and you yeah, forget Wade Wade is her name maybe or something like that. Um, but even she, in the end, still sticks up for for Merton, right? Or even like the crew that Dimitri trains on the uh, other yeah. ship, like they betray him easily. To and they they just blindly fly over to start shooting him out in space, and it's like that's that's like a suicide mission. And he's just like, guys, turn around, like yeah. I'm gonna get you, right? It's interesting. Interesting. Well, there any any other uh, points of plot before we uh, begin to look at some of our closing thoughts here? I think I'm good. I'm good from my end, Jim. Yeah, I I I think I've said about everything I have to say. All right. Well, very cool. Well, let's move into I guess our closing thoughts, right? Sure. Uh, let's. All right. I got us here. Let's talk. Let's talk. I want your rating of the book. Um, and then would you recommend that someone continue reading to this point in the series? And uh, if you didn't know there was more, would you be excited or apathetic about the, about the story? Let's start with you, Jim. All right. I'm going to call this a, a 4.5 out of five i liked the book a lot and um david you 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 kind of led me to the conclusion that this is a bridge that we're moving from one point to another yeah it does seem like an interlude sort of book um i i enjoyed the characters again you know that's what that's what's driving this this entire series is is very well done characters and um yeah i'm looking forward to the next one would i recommend it starting here no uh recommend starting at the beginning and calling this something that may be essential i would have to say yes because um we get we get more insight into miller light um, this time than, than we've had in the past, you know, usually he's just kind of standing in the corner, uh, wearing that silly hat and, and wisecracking. But this time he, he really got, he really got some things done. Uh, recommend it to a sci-fi fan. Most definitely, uh, recommend it to a non-sci-fi fan. Uh, if they read the other books before, I would say yes. Sounds good. Scott. 
So I'm going to stick with Jim's rating. Uh, it's going to be between 4 and 4.5 to me, but I like the 4.5 rating because, again, the thing that sells me on what James S.A. Corey, that writing team, is doing is the characters. Um, both with Elvia Koya, you know, down to, you know, Bossa Merton, uh, Bossa, is it Merton? Um, and, you know, the whole, the crew of the Rosinante, they continue to develop that story. You get some hints to backstory that, that you get, that continues to unravel both in Amos and um, and Alex, and we didn't talk too much about them as crew, but you get some interesting backstory to them, and it is the character development, um, probably of all the books we read. This has been some of the best character development over the course of the four books. Um, not only do the four main characters continue to be interesting, but the other characters are introduced. Are, are dynamic, they're interesting, um, they're people with real struggles um, and real conflicts and certainly far from perfect. And this makes it interesting. And the plot's interesting, certainly. I mean, how is everything going to play out? Um, but what makes these books probably some of the best sci-fi that I've, re- that I've read in a while has been the fact that these are so well-developed characters. So... It is a thing that continues to drive me to want to read, to look forward to the next book that we'll be reading, uh, you know, down the pike for this. Um, would I recommend dropping in to giving this to someone that uh, hasn't read the other books, um, whether they be sci-fi or otherwise? This is a standalone story. Like, I don't like, okay, you don't get so much context for the protomolecule, so there might be a little bit of confusion there. But the story, as we said, it, the fault, as some of you said very at the beginning of the podcast, is it all takes place in one location. So we, we know we're on a new planet, and we get enough context for that planet that I feel like that it could handle as a standalone story. And I know we're saying it's kind of a bridge, and we're looking at in the context of all four books, but I think that you probably could read this as a standalone story and it has a beginning and a wrap up enough that I don't need to read the other books. There are some characters I won't know the relationships with, some reference points that I won't get, but I don't know that it would detract me from understanding the gist of the story for me. Um, so would it make you want to go back and read the earlier books? Well, I think certainly there's hints at, at events that happened earlier on. And if I like this book, I'm going to go back and want to read the earlier books. But I don't know that I would lose. Like, I feel like the story of how they got to the gates, I'm missing that a little bit. But that's like a whole, like that's that plot line from protomolecule to development of the creatures to them going through the gates. They're all, they're all, they're, they're different. It's a different story. Like this seems almost as a standalone. It's like a difference. E- each book has been a very different story from, you know, the, the crashing into Venus to Ganymede to the getting to the gate. They, each one has its very own distinct story, but this one probably is the one that kind of sets itself by itself, you aren't dealing with all the different factions of humanity, although they're there, but they're much more in the back. And like you could, these are these these two groups kind of fighting on the planet. And how do we keep the thing from going to hell? You know. 
Mm. Those are my thoughts. Mm. Well, I've already said I felt like this was the weakest of the four we've read. But uh, for me, it's a four out of five. It's still very, very, very solid. Um, and considering the other ones were like five pluses for me, I mean, to say this is the weakest is not really. You're knocking, still giving it a four. Yeah, it's not knocking it very much. Because you rated stuff at a two. I've been there yeah. when that's happened. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm usually pretty hard. Rant master over here. Um, no real rants this time. No, I didn't really. I mean, other than the a couple little things, just I I thoroughly enjoyed this book. I did feel it was a, it it draws out a little bit, feels a little bit stale at points because it doesn't move to other places like the other ones do comparatively. However, if you were to to drop somebody just in on this book, I agree with what you were saying, Scott. But I've read worse sci-fi where less is explained, and it's been a standalone story. <laughs> You know, right. you know what I mean? So, like, as a sci-fi fan, like, I think someone could pick this up, read it, be a little confused, but somewhat satisfied. Um, would I recommend someone do that? No. I mean, but it could be done. Um, I definitely would recommend that people continue to read up till this point. I, I personally am looking forward to the next book. Um, I don't like the way that the mystery was given to me, but I want to know the answers to it. Right. Enough to keep reading. Uh, so, again... Uh, four four out of five for me. A definite recommend um, if you like sci-fi and if you've been reading this, this series. And certainly we would recommend the series in general. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely yeah. a good series. Well, good. Yeah. Cool. Well, next time on the show. The next thing of the poll. Yeah, we're going to be exploring a new genre for us. Fantasy pirate books. <laughs> Now, I was a little like, I don't know about this, but Jim's been pushing it pretty hard. And he's been like, I really want to read some pirate stories that are fantasy. And I said, okay, Jim. <laughs> These are pirate ninjas. Pirate ninja, no. That's the only thing that make it better. No. Uh, so we're reading Sea of Thieves by Chris Alcock. Yeah, um, I'm a fan of the game, so I'm looking forward to reading this, yeah. this book. Uh, I am... I mentioned this before we recorded. I think that I am going to like this book and that neither of you guys are going to like this book and it'll be a full reversal of the norms. <laughs> um, and as far as that, for the polls for the next time, I think we're just going to straight say we're continuing. Um, we're, we're four books in. Miles yeah. will continue with the series. So we've got Nemesis by James S.A. Corey. So we're just going to go straight into that. Sounds good. Um, yeah, so. so, yeah, well, that sounds great. And uh, Jim, any thoughts on this? I mean. As we head into Arg, Arg, and Arg. he's just looking forward to being a bard aboard the pirate ship. Yeah, Jim, did you did you start oh, reading the book yet? Boy, uh, no, okay. no, I have not. Um, as a matter of right now, I'm reading a book from an Australian author who is kind of kind of done a Pacific Rim kind of thing, uh, Australia major cities well everything in australia the entire world is being torn up by kaiju and pirates and uh and it, it's a really neat book but um I, i'd love to recommend it for us to read um it'd be kind of neat i i might just go ahead and and throw that on the list at some point down the road cool sounds good uh i'd be up for but it at any rate yeah yeah. But uh, no, the last time I read a pirate book, Good Night Nurse, I think it was Treasure Island when I was 
In grade school? In junior high. <laughs> grade school or junior high, I can't remember. And I do remember it did not hold my attention. Yeah. Um, <laughs> unless it's Douglas Fairbanks Jr., I don't think it's really, I'm really into the pirate scene myself. Right, right. The only junior I'm interested in is Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> I went so there. I guess, you went I guess there. I'll go buy an eye patch and a fake <laughs> yeah. parrot to stick on my shoulder. You, you and have to read this one with an eye patch. The whole you time. do. What I it's just squint the entire time <laughs> when you're reading it. Yeah. All uh, right. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, any books we've read, including this one. Or absolutely. Coming. See if these book. If you want to get in touch with us, there's many ways you can do that. You can email your thoughts to theorbitalsword at gmail dot com. You can call our voicemail at. One two six zero five seven seven chat. That's one two six zero five seven seven two four two eight. And yes, this can be yours for free. <laughs> you can also hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash the orbital sword and Twitter at orbital sword. Uh, so you can always go and, and join us at our main hub, which includes all the different ways that you can get in touch with us and find our other podcasts as well. And uh, that's at orbitalsword.com. So, just a little plug for something we're doing right after we stop this, is we are recording a new episode of the Dune Saga podcast. The Dune Saga, Saga, Saga. So, if you aren't familiar with the Dune Saga podcast and you've been listening to The Orbital Sword, it was the show we did before this, specifically talking about the books in Dune. So, there's a new movie coming out, new news, new gossip, new hype, and we're on the train. So We are on the hype there. train. Yep. DuneSagaPodcast.com, iTunes, or wherever else you find your podcast. Absolutely. And you can support us on Patreon if you don't already. Right. That's right. You may have said that. I, I did. Thank you for, All right. for those <laughs> support. So, yep. so, once again, for the Orbital Sword, I'm David Bolton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And join us next time on board the Orbital Sword. If I go to the sky, I will always see your smile. I will always see your smile. You're the angel. If I fall from above, I'll get caught with your love. I'll get caught with your love. You're my angel. I will never try to get cold inside. Never get. Oh
Get cool.